Mike Seibert Radio is an independent podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Enjoy the show! Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and write into the mailbag, MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. And the spelling is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just the way that it sounds. Uh, This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week with spotlight interviews, pop culture stuff, and occasionally more. And I may sound a little rugged, but I survived. I have uh, returned from convention weekend with uh, harrowing tales of stuff and things. And uh, and actually, in truth, I am a little bit under the weather. Um, um, I did kind of want to record earlier in the day when actually, this sounds so silly now that I'm saying it out loud, but when my voice was a little rougher, just to kind of convey how uh, crusty and crummy I was, uh, you know, after after having that whirlwind adventure of, you know, Emerald City Comic Con and then Crackle Fest and off to uh, TFCon in uh, Los Angeles. But uh, now that it's been a few hours, it's, you know, listening to it in my headphones, and I'm sure this is your experience as well, it does sound a little huskier, uh, but at least, uh, you know, we'll get through it together and I'm halfway in um, still intelligible. Um, anyhow, on this week's show, I'm going to, uh, oh, there it is. Oh man. Um, on this week's show, I'm going to talk about my time at Emerald city comic con and hosting crackle fest nine, all of that and more on this all new episode of Mike Seibert radio. But first let's kick things off with some shout outs. Well, you know, most of this episode is just kind of be one big shout out fest anyway. But uh, uh, specifically, I wanted to thank everybody that made it out to Crackle Fest 9 uh, last Friday night at Hard Rock Seattle. It was a huge blast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, met and saw a lot of great friends, uh, both old and new. Um, I also specifically want to thank Kyle Stevens uh, from Kirby Crackle uh, for inviting me to host um, um, it is uh, a dream come true in a way. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about this for like the last month or so, but I have been, I, I came into this as a fan. So, you know, I've been a fan of Kirby Crackle's music. I've been a fan and attendee of Crackle Fest for uh, the last several years. And to uh, take the stage um, at Hard Rock Cafe, it's like, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but there was one time where I was standing at the mic, you know, it's like, you know, telling people where the merch table was and about the drink specials and stuff. And I just kind of look down and I see like this floor mat below me that says Hard Rock Cafe. And it just like, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's video of it, but if there is like th- there was a part where I just like audibly paused, like like I was having a stroke or something like my brain just stopped working. And it was it was in that moment. I'm like, wait a minute. 
I'm at the Hard Rock Cafe, standing on a stage, hosting a show, introducing bands that I'm uh, that I'm a huge fan of. It was it was incredibly surreal, and I am uh, grateful for the opportunity. Um, it didn't suck. Would do again. Ten out of ten. <laughs> um, uh, but also, I wanted to give a shout out to my dude Eric Mannix. Um, uh, dude went uh, went above and beyond. Now. Um, he was doing uh, cosplay photography uh, all all weekend long during Emerald City Comic Con, and I had reached out to him a while ago. I, I've told the story already, but I had uh, reached out to him and uh, was just seeing if he was interested in shooting and you know doing some uh, uh, concert pics because I knew that was kind of something he was uh, interested in. So you know, I, I got him on the guest list, got that all hooked up. Um, but basically what happened at the end of Friday's show, uh, the Emerald City Comic Con, I hooked up with him and uh, I, I basically got the uh, red carpet treatment. In fact, we uh, uh, he drove from the Comic-Con all the way uh, over to the uh, Hard Rock, which was actually oh, I'm getting bogged down in the story but basically like he was stuck he was in a garage that was going to close at eight so he had to get out of there but uh but still he didn't have to drive me around and it uh it ended up being um a really cool uh very interesting story involving parking now um anybody that's been to Seattle or really any kind of major metropolitan area I'm sure this is uh very very common but parking is especially difficult in Seattle and um, especially on a uh, Friday night during convention weekend. Uh, so we drove around for for a few, um, had kind of like a line on a couple things, but uh, we saw a, a really small kind of like eyebrow of a parking lot, pulled into it, looked like we were good to go. It was only a couple blocks from the Hard Rock, uh, uh, but we get out and go to pay and there's a sign on it. I don't remember what the artist was, but this parking lot was directly across from the Moore Theater, um, you know, a very popular concert venue in Seattle. And um, there was a sign on it, had the artist's name and it said $40. $40 to park there and get this we were we were this close to just saying screw it we're just going to pay it because this is this is a good spot it's close it's fine it's spendy but whatever you know it's uh, it's definitely cheaper than getting a uh, a parking ticket but then this uh uh dude rolls up to us and you know I I've seen folks like this in, uh, you know, in parking lots that, that basically like they, they kind of want to hook you up with their particular spot. Usually like uh, it their buddy has a has a specific parking lot or a parking spot or a garage or something to where, you know, it's like, oh, don't go park there. Go park at my buddy's place. You know, it's so much cheaper and so much better. Sometimes it's scammy. Sometimes it's not. Uh, sometimes it's sketchy. But in this case, this was just a, a dude being a dude. Um, and you know, he, uh, you know, asked for a couple bucks to, you know, help him out and, um, you know, and 
be that ended up being a whole lot better than paying uh the more theater parking lot 40 bucks uh because like the the dude like walked down the street kind of like stood in a spot waved away other cars and then uh then kind of waved my dude in so it was it was it was a really cool um experience all the way around so um uh good on that guy for you know having 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 all that hustle uh but still yeah i mean it was it was just one of those things where you know it's like me and Mannix kicked it basically until we got into the show and uh you know i'll talk more on that later but it was it was just kind of funny it's like okay cool we're now in the in the show you uh you shoot pictures i gotta go host peace (laughs) but um uh another thing and um, I, I was rambling for a sec, but when we left, uh, jumping all the way to the end of the story, when we left uh, Crackle Fest, uh, uh, homeboy drove me back to work. I I had uh, parked my car in the garage at work and and Ubered it over to uh, the uh, convention, Emerald City Comic Con, and yeah, I mean he didn't have to do that, but I mean shout out to Eric for for uh, uh, taking me back. That was pretty rad, but. Um, on the way back to his car, um, he, he was telling me the story earlier in the day where he had, uh, you know, like run into some buddies and was uh, kicking it all uh, high life style with uh, uh, Jeremy Johns and his uh, his entourage. Um, you know, uh, Jeremy does a really cool uh, YouTube channel, uh, movie reviews, things like that. Um, and. Uh, but wouldn't you believe it though it's like we're we're walking uh it's the it's the middle of the night it's like you know 11:30 at night we're walking away from the hard rock back to uh Mannix's car and stumbling out of the bar is Jeremy Johns and his boys and it's it was just the weirdest thing we just bumped into him right there on the street uh kicked it chit-chatted for a few and uh and then we were all on our way um point of my story i want to actually two points one i have a jeremy john story um uh way back when when i uh recorded with bj shay's geek nation for the uh captain america winter soldier uh episode that they did uh you know my my first taste of real broadcasting and all that i've told the story before but um the story i may not have told uh as recently is uh jeremy johns just happened to have been in seattle at the time was there in town and he was in the studio also on that episode now if you go back through the bj shays geek nation archives and you find that winter soldier episode and who knows if that's even still on their server if that even existed i mean that was four years ago um but anyhow um if you find it and listen to it you'll be like wait a sec Jeremy Johns isn't on this episode because through some uh, technical difficulties and and mishaps, that version of the episode didn't get recorded. So we we talked for like 90 minutes, all of us, and, and it was great. It was fun. So it was like, you know, it was like... Uh, uh, Vicky B and Brandon Jurwa and Pete Greenberg and uh, Chris Walker and Jeremy Johns and myself. Um, for whatever reason, when we when we re-recorded the next day, Jeremy had already moved on, so we recorded a version. We it was so weird. It's like um, 
uh, I, I'm sure other podcasters have had this feel, but like trying to recapture conversations you had, it's like you find yourself stealing each other's lines and things like that just to make sure those points get out. Um, anyway, we, we re-recorded it and that's what ended up uh, being the episode, but that was always my Jeremy John story. And um, uh, the other, the other thing I wanted to tell you is, you know, kind of like a pro tip, you know, if you roll up to somebody that like say you're a fan of you know in, in this case i like jeremy johns i mean he's he's uh he's got a cool channel uh but rolling up to him with manix and you know we're we're uh you know it's late at night and all that you don't start with oh hey man i'm a huge fan blah 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 but you know just kind of keep it on the download try to be kind of cool so my move was you know i was just talking to him like he's a dude but then as we parted ways you know i shook his hand looked at him and said i'm a fan of the channel by the way and you know he got a big warm smile and he said thank you and and that was it. And that I think is kind of the way to uh, manage that type of situation. So you just don't kind of look like a clown. It's really it's really hard to not get starstruck. But that's a good way to do it. It's just kind of like treat them like people, and then express that you're a fan. Because I didn't want to let him go thinking that you know I I don't know him or don't know his stuff or or whatever. But I'm a um. I'm rambling. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll come back to uh, uh, Crackle Fest later. But again, I just wanted to give uh, huge ups to to my dude Mannix for uh, uh, you know taking really good care of me. I went way above and beyond, and I and I truly appreciate it. Um, so um, let's see. I I want to talk about kind of how my whirlwind weekend started because it it uh, it started in a way that I was not exactly expecting. Uh, my plan was, okay, so I worked on Friday and my plan was to get off work and then just kind of Uber down to uh, the convention center, downtown Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con, and then just go over to Crackle Fest and, and, and you've heard those beats already. Um, but I got kind of like a curveball. Uh, I got held up at work. Uh, things took a little longer. And then, uh, one of the folks I work with, um, uh, proposed an adventure out to Shake Shack. Now, I was not familiar with Shake Shack prior to uh, Friday or maybe Thursday afternoon was, I think, the first time he had talked about it. Um, It's kind of like a, I don't know, it's like a a premium burger joint type of thing. I think it's like started up as like a pop-up. Maybe there's a food truck involved. I I don't know the history and I I feel no compulsion to research it now. So feel free and sharpshoot me at Mike Seibert Radio if if you are a fan of the shack and want to call me out on my ignorance but anyway um we thought it would be a fun culinary adventure you know me and uh uh, some of my work buddies um so originally we were just gonna walk because it's you know two three four five miles uh jesus no two three four five blocks uh from uh from where i work so it was i mean it was a gorgeous day um a wonderful day in downtown seattle super sunny um, but, um, going to, we, oh gosh, I don't even remember how this went, but, uh, we decided that since it was near Whole Foods and Whole Foods has a parking garage that it would be better to drive to the Whole Foods. 
And it's one of those things where, like, if you buy stuff, uh, you get validated parking. And and uh, my buddy, my coworker, was like, well, you know, I want to buy some salsa there, so why don't we just go park? Fast forward, I end up driving. Um, I drove, like, those couple blocks, parked in the Whole Foods parking lot. We went on an adventure in Whole Foods, bought the salsa, and then walked over to Shake Shack um, across the street to where we found a line of people going all the way around the block. Now, if you know anything about uh, recent uh, uh, booming growth in the downtown Seattle core, uh, we're basically Amazon Central. And I looked up and I I had not been outside. Um, I I used to do inventory at Whole Foods, at that particular Whole Foods, uh, way back in the day, a lifetime ago. But um, I looked up and I saw like all of these new buildings, all of these Amazon towers that I just I uh, it was just weird. I drive by them, but to stand there outside and look up was a different experience. Anyway, all of these Amazon people are coming out to get their Shake Shack and it's like, all right, well, here we go. We stand in line um, and the line doesn't really appear to be moving. Turns out and and this is the whole point of uh why I'm telling the story this this is kind of like almost like a get off my lawn with old man mike uh type of grump segment their uh their entire point of sale system is run off of a kiosk uh through iPads so it's iPads and card readers and that's it no humans are taking orders or money it's all just, you know, beep, boop, 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 boop. And they had like, I don't know, maybe six iPads, something like that. Um, when I looked over somebody's shoulder, it looked like three of them were working. By the time we got the line deep enough into the restaurant proper, none of them were working. Turns out they had had intermittent outages all afternoon. So it's lunch rush and the uh, tablets aren't working. And it's one of those things where it's like, do we stay? Do we go? Spoilers: We uh, we ended up staying, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a pain in the ass. We um, we left our office at like I don't know just before eleven thirty, and we got back to the office. Oh, it, we didn't even stay there for food. Basically, what happened was we ordered the food, and I. Uh, you know, once they got the kiosk working again. So I walked back over to Whole Foods, picked up my car, drove around the block a couple times, and then we just kind of jumped back in and went back to the office. Um, my boss was joking. They, he's like, okay, well, you know, I have a meeting at one thirty, so I got to be back by then. Oh, ha, ha, we'll make it, we'll make it. We get back in my car like just after 1.00. And he's like, no, really, I have my meeting at one thirty. I, I, I'm not joking. Uh, yeah. So we, we got back to the office at like one fifteen. So it was like this like two hour adventure. And I'm just this entire time. My skin is just crawling because I'm like super anxious um, to get to comic-con to emerald city you know it's like because i had stuff to do and limited time and so it kind of spiked my anxiety a bit uh but yeah i mean yeah well, i mean once i slowed down and ate lunch i mean the shakes were delicious uh the burgers are delicious uh for folks in the seattle area i would say i would compare it to a more upscale version of dick's drive-in and that's fine. 
I think the charm of Dick's Drive-In is that it's really good greasy burgers and fries that are dirt cheap in a very uh, classic 1950s diner type of way. This kind of takes that that um, aesthetic and Seattle's it up a little bit, you know. So instead of like paying like two dollars for like a hamburger, you're paying like ten dollars, and it was uh, yeah. So it was. It was interesting. It was fine. I don't know if I would be in a hurry to do it again, but um, but the point of that rant was is I'm just I I'm really frustrated that in such a technologically advanced and savvy town like Seattle, again we're like right in Amazon Central, that you know it's like we're running iPads and no humans. And that's what happens. I mean, it gives it gives me really like a a cold splash of water across the face for what the inevitable Mad Max future is going to be like. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's it call me old fashioned, but I just I I thought that was really weird that like you know it's there they had no backup system, so we just had to wait for like the kiosk thing to reboot and and get going. It was it was crazy. But uh, but anyway, I've I I have talked about Shake Shack enough uh, on a podcast where I'm supposed to be talking about Emerald City Comic Con and uh, and Crackle Fest. So I eventually made it to uh, the convention center, and the first place I went um, uh, was the A Wave Blue World booth. Um, I had talked about this on the last episode. Uh, basically, they were having a creator signing for the uh, graphic novel anthology, All We Ever Wanted, Stories of a Better World. I had, you know, promoted it a couple few times. You know, uh, Lucia Fasano and Tess Fowler had uh, had their story in there, uh, The Inventor's Daughter. And I talked to uh, cre- uh, one of the creators and one of the editors, uh, Matt Miner. Uh, he was a guest on the show last year, and we... Uh, uh, talked about that. I um, uh, was a Kickstarter backer, so I got like an exclusive Kickstarter uh, cover version of uh, of the book. And they were having this uh, group signing where they had about like oh, I don't know, maybe like a dozen or so of the various creators that worked on the book all in one place at the same time to do a group signing. So. Uh, it, it's really cool because, like, um, my book now, you open it up to the front cover. I, I posted a uh, photo of it on my Instagram. But, yeah, it's it's just littered with, you know, uh, uh, all these autographs and, as, uh, as Matt had uh, pointed out, tons of fingerprints as well. So, um, so I've got all that. But, no, it was a, it, it was a great experience. But I'll be honest, it was it was a little overwhelming because you have like all of these uh, different creators and I wanted to talk to everybody and everybody wanted to talk to me. So I was getting a little flooded and and I, I felt like I was being rude at times because like I would be engaged in a conversation with somebody. Then like somebody else would catch my eye and I'd like shake a hand and and it'd be like, oh, you got the you got the Kickstarter version. Oh, thank you for, you know, supporting the book, blah, 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 blah. And then once I had, you know, as I was introducing myself, um, people uh, asked me how I uh, knew about the book or where I discovered it from. So then I'm starting to talk about all of the podcast stuff that I just mentioned to you. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. You know, and it, like I said, it was, it was, it was, um, 
it was really cool um, uh, to get that that overwhelming uh, rush of support. But yeah, it was. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I did get a little flooded there, but uh, uh, but no, it was great. Um, I uh, I chatted with uh, Tyler Chintaner a little bit about you know maybe doing some uh, future uh, podcasting and podcast interviews because uh, they they've always got uh, new anthologies and new projects and and all kinds of new stuff um, that they've uh, that they've got coming out. So I'd like uh, yeah I'd like to get in on that and, and see if I can um, uh, help support in any way I can, especially, you know, being a, um, an independent comic company, which, you know, that's a, that, that's kind of important and vital uh, for the comic industry. It's not just about the big two or three or four. Um, uh, but anyway, like, uh, you know, so after, after I got the book autographed, now I'm wondering how much shipping might cost. Um, I'm thinking of mailing my copy uh, down to uh, Lucia Fasano down in in Los Angeles. See if uh, see if I can get her to autograph it. Or actually, you know what? I I should probably wait until like if uh, if she ever comes up uh, for a show in Seattle or somewhere close to that, and then uh, be able to kick it that way. I'm just uh, I'm just musing and and rambling at this point. Uh, but anyway, after after I wrapped up uh, with the signing there, I went to go see uh, Rebecca Hicks over at her booth. You know, uh, Luna C Studios, uh, and she does the uh, Little Vampires web comic. Um, she had a cool little booth and all kinds of neat little stuff. I I bought a handful of prints that that might or might not become uh, Christmas gifts uh, or birthday presents or whatever for uh, for folks down the line. But it was a uh, it was just really cool um, chatting with her. Um, and <laughs> so uh, she was the artist for the Weird Al Rules music video uh, for Megathruster. You know, you've heard me talk about it uh, several times now at this point. But we, uh, um, she, the first thing she asked me was, you know, if I liked uh, the portrait that she did for me. Now, as a Kickstarter backer for that project, um, one of the, one of my rewards was that I got, a portrait drawn by her and included in the music video, uh, which was super cool. But she asked me um, what I thought of the portrait and I really, really liked it um, because I, I think it's a, you know, it, it, it's, it's a really cool representation. I, I'm incredibly vain. I mean, just, just look at my social media. I mean, it's all, you know, for a 40 year old man, I sure do take a whole lot of goofy selfies, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, no, just, I, I'm incredibly, uh, uh, vain and, and maybe conceited. I don't know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, she, she did an incredible job with it. I really enjoyed the likeness. She, uh, um, she even got like the, this weird part that my hair does. Like I, I've got, uh, you know, I kind of part my hair on the side, but depending upon how long it is, it doesn't quite settle and it kind of like spikes up in a couple spots. And she, uh, drew that into the portrait, uh, which I really liked and thought was, uh, was really nice. Um, and I, I, I told her that I, I appreciated her, um, 
uh, judicious use of gray. <laughs> so it's like, if you look at it, it's like, it's mostly brown, but then she like, you know, drew in a, a couple stray gray hairs in my, in my beard and hair, which, uh, uh, again, makes me look uh, far more youthful than I actually am. But, but no, she, uh, um, shared with me that she had a really fun time doing that portrait and that um, apparently, <laughs> and I'm blushing saying this out loud here, uh, but apparently my my uh, uh, face and features are very uh, conducive to being drawn. Uh, she, uh, I, I think the word she used was drawable. But yeah, no, she... Uh, um, uh, again had a really great time with it and the details and but the most time that she spent on the portrait was on the microphone now one of the things that i had asked is you know when she's doing the portrait uh to include me wearing headphones and possibly talking into a microphone you know indicating that i'm a, a podcaster and i i um it doesn't entirely break the uh, uh, the conceit and and uh, aesthetic of the of the music video because like what what these uh, uh, portraits are supposed to be is almost kind of like high school style uh, high school yearbook style uh, uh, portraits so it's like you know as if you're like flipping through a yearbook these are the pictures that um, that you would see. And so I'm, I'm the only person with, uh, with accessories, you know, aside from like, you know, the, the nerdy references, uh, that she put in like, a especially like the weird owl stuff. Like, you know, there's little tacos for taco grande and, and Rocky road ice cream cones for, I love Rocky road. Um, and you know, uh, lots of, uh, you know, star Wars totems and things like that. But, but yeah, I'm the only person wearing headphones and talking into a microphone. So it doesn't, it doesn't entirely break the reality of the uh the video but it does come close i i think it works though but um but anyhow yeah it's like um she and i just chatted for like a good long while just you know kind of like about what weird al yankovic's music means to us and like when we first encountered it and and uh her experience was very similar to mine and like uh weird al was almost kind of my gateway into pop music or at least popular music I mean like I I remember a lot of his songs where like I remember hearing that before hearing the uh the original you know uh again like you know I love Rocky Road um you know I I think I'm pretty sure I heard that before I heard uh the the Joan Jett original uh, of course I love rock and roll um but anyway yeah no it was it was just a very interesting conversation um but the thing that really uh kind of uh kind of really warmed my heart um about being at Rebecca's booth is that um there were um, at least two different folks uh, that that were uh, differently abled that that um, uh, came up to her booth. They were they were in a, a motorized wheelchairs and just you know just just the the sweetest folks. Um, uh, really great. But um, one of them in particular was uh, um, uh, dressed up as Captain Marvel, 
And, you know, it's like, you know, she had like, you know, the 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 Captain Marvel jacket. And um, I looked down and on like the the hubcaps of this motorized wheelchair that this person had had um, hubcaps, uh, essentially, uh, of the um, red, blue and gold uh, Captain Marvel uh, symbol. And I just thought that was really cool. And, you know, we're just talking about, you know, uh, just um, God, we, we got like on all of these tangents about like, you know, uh, gatekeeping and, and, you know, toxic fans and all of this other stuff. But um, I uh, to tangent just a quick sec, I um, I saw Captain Marvel. Um, I'm probably not going to do like an in-depth, uh, super deep dive on the movie. I liked it. It's fine. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It's for me, uh, hot, hot take. It's, it's a mid tier Marvel movie, which, you know, mid tier Marvel is better than most. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but the thing that, that sticks with me though is, is it doesn't always matter if the movie is the best or whatever because if it means something to somebody, then that's important. I remember those conversations being bandied around like when Black Panther came out last year and when Wonder Woman came out the the year before. And I I've been you know, maybe a little curmudgeon about about those movies. I like both of them. I feel the same way about Wonder Woman and Black Panther as I do Captain Marvel. They're fine. Um, so, I mean, at least I'm I'm consistent. But my point being is that the people that it's important to, it's important to them. So it does not matter what I think. And it does not matter whether, um, you know, how how good the movie is or not. When I see somebody with Captain Marvel hubcaps on their motorized wheelchair and they are inspired by that, that's important and that means something. So um, I, I know something that I've said about Wonder Woman especially is like, you know, it's fine. It's good. It falls apart in the third act. Um, I understand that it's important to the people it's important to and why it is dot 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 i just wish they got a better movie um and and i still feel that way but it doesn't diminish the importance so like for example i guess um you all know that transformers the movie you know 1986 the animated movie is my favorite movie and that it is very important to me we'll we'll get into that when i talk about uh tfcon uh later on but that movie is pretty doofy um so and it's one of those things where it's like it's fine and you kind of see where i'm going with that it's like you know um you know, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Transformers the movie, if I say it's fine, that's what that means. It's fine. And so just because it doesn't resonate with you doesn't make it unimportant. So I'll leave it there for now. But that that was that was just something that just um that just really kind of warmed my heart. It was uh it, it was a really uh it was a really cool experience. So um from there, 
Um, after I wrapped up uh, at Rebecca's booth up on the fourth floor, I went down uh, to the Costume Characters for Causes uh, charity photo booth where they were again uh, supporting the Good Times Project. Um, I met up with uh, Mike Martin uh, from uh, Funko, uh, uh, cosplayer. He was, uh, he was dressed up as Captain Marvel. Oh, the uh, I'm sorry, Shazam. Um, he was uh, he was dressed up as Shazam, you know, the uh, uh, classic uh, Captain Marvel, as well as Batman in Seattle, aka Batmat. Um, so yeah, so I chatted with them for for um, a couple few minutes. Uh, got a photo taken with them. Um, I haven't seen it pop up on the. Uh, uh, costume characters for causes website yet but as soon as i see that i will pull that down and post it um but but it was it's it's one of those it's i i have found that the longer that i'm um well no it's not even podcasting and broadcasting what am i talking about um it's a small world you know, you know, cue the theme. I'm not going to dig it up today, but you'll have to use your imagination. It is a small world. So so I'm uh, uh, talking to Batman, uh, Batman in Seattle, and he and I have uh, uh, really connected recently in a big, bad way. He's um, he uh, has started a separate uh, Instagram page where he's uh, getting into photo editing and you know doing a photoshop and special effects and he's been uh taking pictures of uh star trek model kits and uh photoshopping them basically to look like they did in the movie so like it's uh it's really cool stuff i should probably put a link in the show notes if i if i remember um I don't even remember the name of the page off the top of my head. I want to say it's like Batman edits or... Okay, I'm floundering here. But anyway, um, so um, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. He's a huge Star Trek nerd. And there was that that connection there that neither of us knew that was there. So we've, we've been getting, we've been getting super deep in the, in the, uh, Trek feels, uh, recently exchanging a bunch of quotes and just, you know, talking about nostalgia and memories and all that other stuff. But, um, he hits me with this when, uh, when I rolled up to the, uh, photo booth, he, um, he was at work at at uh um at his work and a coworker of his happened to I don't know if he just happened to have uh his Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or something had his social media up and this coworker um sees a photo of um uh, uh Matt Batman in his full uh Michael Keaton Batman outfit um in a picture with me from a couple years ago. So it's like I've got this time hop app on my phone and it's, you know, that's where all these, you know, uh, uh, retro flashback photos have been coming from. Anyway, um, she sees one of those pictures that I had posted and tagged him in and she's like, wait a sec, how do you know Mike Seibert? You know, is that Mike Seibert? Do you know him? Turns out this, uh, this coworker of his is a coworker of mine that uh, both uh, myself and my now wife Lucky. Well, now now wife that sounds silly. We've been married sixteen years. Anyway, um, 
the three of us, um, her name's Judy, and, you know, uh, me, Lucky, and Judy, you know, used to do inventory together way back in the day. I mean, like, literally 20 years ago, um, a, a an actual lifetime ago. And so I'm telling... Uh, um, uh, mad about this and I was like yeah you know I and and I haven't I haven't talked to her in years you know it's just like you know she's living in a different place um, you know everybody's got different you know lifestyles and all that other stuff and we've quite frankly kind of kind of lost touch but I think we're friends on Facebook though but anyhow um, it was it was just it was just it blew my mind to where like this cosplayer that I know works with somebody I used to work with way back in the day. It just that 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 one that one just blew my mind. It was crazy. Um but then uh I had mentioned that I had um a photo taken of uh me and Batman and Captain Marvel and the dude behind the lens uh, was a cat named Destry. Now um, he was he was there shooting. I think I've seen him shooting at that at the costume characters for Causes booth before. But he um, he was looking at me kind of funny, like you know that that um, when you know that you know somebody, but you can't quite figure out where and how you know them from. Um, it was, it was that. And, uh, finally it clicks. Like I could see like a, like a light bulb pop up over his head and he's like, do you know, Trevor? Um, and I, um, uh, Trevor, Trevor from KGRG. And I just, I, it, it blew me away. Um, so, uh, Trevor was a dude that, you know, uh, T2, I guess I should uh, clarify. That's how I knew him. Uh, because we had two Trevors at the time. Anyway, uh, uh, Trevor, his path post KGRG was kind of getting into um, uh, photographing bands at concerts. That that's you know so like people go through KGRG. Uh, sometimes folks have uh, different paths in mind. Some people are more interested in the promotion side. Uh, some people are interested in more engineering technology side. Some people just, you know, straightforward want to be on the air, be DJs or, or whatever. But uh, Trevor's thing was is he um, he is friends with a lot of bands and kind of used his KGRG connects to get into shows to do uh, photography for them. And that's kind of really what he kind of got into post his time at KGRG. And, and it was, it was just interesting because that that's what uh, uh, Destry does as well. And again, it's a small world. Um, Maybe not as small because, I mean, you know, I did stuff with uh, costume characters for causes when I was at KGRG also. But still, it, it was it was it just it just shook my brain going from uh, that connection that Batman had uh, to this connection that Destry had. And I'm just like, I'm just I'm just living in a crazy small world um, after all. Um, so anyway, after, after I got done with that, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, made a donation to, a, a good times project, uh, said goodbye to my friends and made my way up to the sixth floor, uh, and artist alley. And I, I've talked about artist alley before. Um, it's, it's really cool. Uh, well, 
I think it's really cool. But um, in some of the conversations I had with the artists and the creators, it's like there there was initially some trepidation there where like, you know, it's getting separated and compartmentalized from the regular show. So it's kind of like, you know, away from the exhibition area. It's away from the celebrity photo area and all of that other stuff. Um, so there was trepidation there, but now that they've done it for a few years now, what we've discovered, you know, as, as a con attendee and fan myself or, and being, uh, friends with creators, we all love it because everybody that's up on that sixth floor wants to be there. Uh, they want to visit with the creators. They want to buy stuff. They want to get commissions in sketches and and prints and books and all that other stuff. And I I think that was a really wise decision to move that and compartmentalize that on the on the uh, conventions part uh, because um, you don't see a whole lot of looky loos up there. You know, uh, maybe it diminishes traffic a little bit. Um, I would have to talk to more folks and get more uh, data on that. But um, but when I went up there, it was super crowded. It was really difficult to move around. I mean, it's, you know, uh, late Friday afternoon at this point, but, um, but still uh, very well uh, traveled. Uh, but anyhow, so so my first stop, um, I uh, hit up uh, Livio Ramadelli. Uh, he is uh, most famously a uh, Transformers artist uh, for the IDW comics. And probably his most recognizable work at this point is he did the cover art for the Shout Factory 30th anniversary re-release, uh, the you know cleaned up anniversary edition Blu-ray uh, for Transformers the movie, um, and it's a really cool piece, and I really like it. And um, uh, hopping around in my story a little bit, actually, you know what? Actually, uh, let me tell it this way. So uh, two years ago, when the Blu-ray came out, I got the steel book, and I got a DVD. And I took them both to Comic-Con, and I had uh, Levio autograph both. Um, so I have those. Now, um, when I get more into my TFCon uh, story, I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about posters and, and Transformers the Movie posters and autographs and why um, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But um, I will just start with this. The poster that I took to TFCon to autograph, the first autograph on it is from Levio. I, you know, I brought it with me to Emerald City. I explained to him what I was going to do. You know, he autographed it. And and that was the first one. It was all good. Um, he also did a killer killer uh, sound wave commission for me, um, doing like this this really this really wild like uh, overhead type of angle. Um, it's super cool. I've uh, uh, got that up on my Instagram as well. Um, uh, but yeah, no, he's he's a super cool guy, and I, I've talked about this more times than than I uh, care to remember. But um, I've always liked uh, Livio Ramadelli's art. It's it's dark, it's moody, it's it's kind of weird, 
and I first encountered him like years and years ago, uh, long before he started doing uh, comics work for IDW. And just I would see some of the Transformers prints he would do where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, Optimus Prime's, uh, you know, chest windows are cracked and there's like Matrix energy coming out and it's all, uh, again, uh, dark and moody. And it just it, it just struck me. And I've always been a fan of his, so I've I've kind of, um, you know, not unlike um, uh, the the future Emperor Palpatine in Episode One talking to young Anakin Skywalker. It's like, oh, we will watch your career with great interest. And so I've I've uh, really enjoyed um, uh, seeing his kind of meteoric rise as one of the the premier Transformers artists and. And I think it's super cool. He's just he's just a cool dude. He uh, also did a Django Fett for me in my uh, sketchbook uh, years ago as well. So um, got that connection there. Uh, from there, uh, speaking of Transformers artists, I moved on and chatted with uh, artist Andrew Griffith. Now I got a I ordered a commission um, uh, Soundwave as well, and I. I I don't know where else I'm going to talk about this, but basically I've accidentally tumbled onto a theme of my sketches. I now have like, I I don't know, at least a half a dozen different Soundwave sketches. And it wasn't until I had uh, Keizama do like this really killer one at TFCon Chicago uh, last year that I realized, you know what, why don't I just have everybody do Soundwave? All commissions are now Soundwave. I mean, you know, I mean, he's my favorite character and I think he looks cool and I really enjoy the different artists interpretation of him. So anyway, um, but my thing with, uh, with Andrew is a little different. So, um, oh gosh. How to how to um, unknot this one? Um, I uh, I commissioned Casey Collar, um, another uh, popular Transformers artist um, who would be at TFCon LA uh, to do a Soundwave commission for me to pick up. So Casey Collar does this piece. He gets it done like two months before the show. I think this, I think this all happened like late January, uh, maybe early February. If I, if I remember correctly. So Casey posts this, the Soundwave commission on social media and it kind of catches some mild fire a little bit, actually like racked up like a couple hundred likes and a bunch of shares and a bunch of comments. And, and really it's, it's weird because as the person commissioning the work, you feel a degree of pride in it. Even though you're not the artist, you're not doing anything. All you did was pay the artist to draw it for you. But, but that, but I, I felt like that that weird surge of pride, as if I'm like, hey, yeah, that's mine, that's mine, and it's awesome. Uh, but anyhow, we um, uh, Andrew Griffith had seen it, and he had made a joke. Uh, it's in black and white. He made a joke and said, oh, hey, that's a that's a nice sound blaster. Uh, uh, that you got there and that the joke with that is, you know, sound blaster is the, uh, later Japanese headmasters version of Soundwave. Um, not getting into that now you can, you can Google it or whatever. Anyway, um, um, 
Sound Blaster is just like Soundwave, except that he's uh, colored black instead of blue, and he has kind of like a, a dark magenta chest window instead of a clear one, and it's kind of extended a little bit because the toy, the Sound Blaster toy, you could fit two cassettes in it instead of just one. Um, so now we're getting super geeky about Transformers, but anyway, so as... I was commissioning Andrew Griffith for this uh, drawing. I told him, I go, you know, LOL, you know, you can draw Sound Blaster if you want to. Because, again, it would be black and white as well. And, and again, th- th- there's virtually no difference between Soundwave and Sound Blaster in black and white. Anyway, I roll up to Andrew Griffith's table at Emerald City Comic Con and he's got um, my uh, commission ready for me and he I, I, I said I said something about it being Soundwave and he's like, well, well no, you, you asked for Sound Blaster. And I looked at it and sure enough, it's got the extended chest and even in black and white, it's so weird. I, I, I'm having trouble to articulating it. But, yeah, you can tell that it's Sound Blaster. Um, and, yeah, he, ju- he just did an incredible job on it. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, that, that was, it was just kind of a, a weird, uh, goofy little story. Um, Andrew's a cool dude. I've, uh, he also did a, a Django uh, for my book uh, back in the day. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, speaking of uh, Transformers artists, now I did I didn't uh, get any books um, or art or commissions this time. But um, one of the th- one of the big elephants in the room uh, for folks that are connected to Transformers, whether they're fans or creators, is the fact that you've got TFCon LA happening during Emerald City Comic Con. Um, you know, Emerald City started on Thursday and goes through Sunday, whereas, you know, TFCon was, you know, Friday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, so there were a couple folks in the community, um, like, uh, for example, uh, Yoshi, one of the uh, hosts of the Transmissions podcast. He lives in Bellingham, not, uh, I was going to say not too far away from me, but that's like a two and a half hour drive away from me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so his plan was like he, uh, I think he did Thursday, Friday at Emerald Con and then flew to Los Angeles. Um, but on that same plan, uh, super popular, uh, uh, mega artist uh, Alex Milne was at Emerald City Comic Con as well and I didn't realize this because I knew that he was going to be at TFCon LA he did the same thing he kind of split his time so um, and that kind of became like one of the points of conversation when I was talking to Livio when I was talking to uh, Andrew uh, Andrew Griffith and then um, also uh, Brendan Cahill um, uh, was there as well. He was uh, uh, the artist on uh, Robots in Disguise when that when that first uh, launched. I didn't even realize he was there um, because I I if if I had paid attention and known that he was going to be there at Emerald City, I would have hit him up for a Soundwave commission as well. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't in the cards. Um, uh, but. 
I was able to get a uh, commission from uh, artist Brian Shearer. Now he's he's a dude I've been a fan of for a while. You know, it's like he's uh, um, he does more GI Joe than Transformers uh, for IDW, uh, but super cool dude. Um, so he did a Soundwave commission for me as well. I picked up a copy of his art book, and he did a little uh, uh, Boba Fett sketch in the in the back of it for me. And yeah, it was just a, it was just a cool experience. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of like the Transformers artist arm and, and these guys were all over artist alley. So I had to kind of like, you know, zigzag and go back and forth a bit, but, it, but it was cool. Uh, but from there I hit up, uh, Caleb Golner, uh, you know, a previous, uh, guest and crackle fest poster artist. Um, I got to see, uh, some of his work in person out on the table, like a couple, a uh, couple few different Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, books. You know his uh, uh, Team Sonic Racing book that that just recently came out, and he uh, um, gave me a copy of Birch Squatch, his uh, um, his recently completed graphic novel. And like we were talking about in the interview, it's like you know he did the first issue like four or five years ago. And then just did the second issue, which were both collected in one graphic novel. Um, uh, yeah, there, there, there's an interesting contrast uh, uh, seeing the growth and development as uh, you know he's he's become a better artist over the years. But man, talk to talk to him for a really long time. We uh, uh, we chatted about like you know just kind of like hardcore music and that scene um yeah he was he was a big scene dude uh back in the day and it was a uh, it was a lot of fun but um but after after I excused myself uh, from chatting with Caleb, I rolled up and uh, got together with a friend of the show and previous guest artist Blackie Shepherd, um, and it, so he's he's done a lot of cool stuff, mostly like uh, monster related stuff. Like you know, he did uh, the Pumpkinhead uh, licensed comic for Dynamite Comics last year. Um, his uh, Vampirella versus Reanimator. Comic Comic. Uh, both of those uh, books written by Cullen Bunn. Um, that's on the shelves now. Um, but he's also he also oh and he did uh, Voltron uh, from the Ashes, which is kind of like kind of like a oh I don't know I guess I would call it like you know um, kind of like the end of uh, of the classic uh, Lion Voltron uh, series. It was it was really really good, but. Um, that's what folks coming up to his table kind of seem to be uh, interested in his uh, his Voltron stuff, which is rad. Uh, but Blackie's a cool guy. I I always like kicking it with him. We're uh, we're in. Um, I'm gonna have him on the show again. I guess he's uh, living down in Tacoma now, which is relatively close to me. And um, I, I think I'm going to uh, reach out. We're going to get together and uh, do another podcast together uh, because he's uh, he's got some stuff going on. And that was about all I had time for, because, uh, uh, like I said, I got kind of like a little bit of a late start and I uh, I needed to get over uh, to Crackle Fest. So uh, before I left. Uh, the convention uh, to go hook up with uh, with Mannix. Um, I uh, I had heard earlier in the day 
that uh, BJ Shea, you know, uh, host of the KSW uh, morning show on 99.9 FM, uh, BJ and Migs, as well as the the founder of BJ Shea's Geek Nation, uh, one of uh, one of the uh, uh, bigger influences in my broadcasting life. I heard that he was going to be at Comic-Con, but he was going to be posted up in the gaming area. Um, the gaming area was uh, kind of downstairs, kind of down on like the second second floor of the TCC building uh which ironically enough was the uh was the same space that used to be the family HQ area a few years ago where the costume characters for Cause's photo booth was set up uh back when I was there doing promo with them uh for uh KGRG again uh kind of kind of small world and weird uh coincidences um anyhow I uh, I walked through the the gaming area, not trying to be too much of a creeper, uh, but yeah, sure enough, I I saw BJ just kind of like uh, um, at a table with uh, uh, with a bunch of friends. I have no idea what they were playing, but it had there was cards and dice and colors and and there was a board of some kind and tokens on it, and and it was one of those things where it's like. You you gotta plan it right because if you don't, you're gonna you're, you're gonna make somebody mad. So I I I timed it to where it looked like they were in between turns, or at the very least, BJ's turn was over. <laughs> so uh, so I I roll up to him again, kind of bashfully, which is so weird because. I've met this guy a number of times over the last of uh, oh gosh I mean over 10 years probably almost 15 years if I if I if I do the math uh, correctly but anyhow um, I shouldn't be as bashful around this guy as I am but it's just I, I don't know it's just um, I I know I told you earlier about like, you know, in my Jeremy John story where it's like, oh, you just you just roll up to them and talk to them like they're people. And it's I don't know, it's it's still kind of hard when it's like somebody that you're like, you know, legit look up to. Anyway, I I politely I was like, hey, BJ, have Hey, hey, hey BJ and one of his buddies had to kind of nudge him a little bit I mean I mean he's a he's an old school radio guy I'm sure his uh his hearing is starting to go because I know a lot of folks I work with are uh in that situation anyway he gets my attention and says hey the, I think this guy's trying to get your attention and he sees me and first thing he says Mike how you doing buddy you know, it's like, not only did he recognize me, but, you know, and, and we chit-chatted. He's like, it's been a long time, and it has been. The last time I saw BJ Shea in person was when he came to the college, uh, Green River College, where I was taking classes and being part of uh, KGRG. He came to... Oh, I, I forget what he was guest lecturing about, but he came to guest lecture at one of our classes, and and that was like one of the... Uh, one of those huge bucket list moments for me because it's like, is this really happening? You know, first of all, the class was being taught by Bob Rivers. So I've got Bob Rivers teaching a class. I've got BJ Shea being a guest lecturer. And it happened to be a class that I was taking with like all of my friends at the time. I mean, we were all friends then. But yeah, it was just it was just one of those weird, cool, surreal bucket list uh, type moments things anyway um I need to stop saying anyway that's uh I'm not gonna edit those out because I'm 
tired and and uh, uh, my voice is starting to go. But um, so I talked to BJ uh, for a couple minutes, and what I wanted to do, I did, I didn't want to just roll up to him just for no reason. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to share with him what I was doing. You know, specifically that I was, I I told him, I go, well, I'm, I'm done for the day, but I am on my way down to the Hard Rock Cafe because I am hosting Crackle Fest. Now, as I had mentioned uh, on a previous episode, uh, Kyle Stevens from Kirby Crackle was a guest on BJ Shea's Geek Nation, you know, hosted by uh, the Reverend Infuego. Um... I don't know if BJ knew that that episode was up or not, but, but still it it was, it was important for me to, um, share that with BJ and to tell him that this opportunity happened because of his influence on me. I've talked about this a lot, but, um, basically I, I look up to BJ because he, gave an example of where a flaming nerd can be successful in major market radio. Now, me, that's not my personal aspiration. And and that's the God's truth. I I because people will ask me that a lot. I enjoy being the host of nobody's favorite podcast. I enjoy making friends and helping promote my friends' stuff. And I'm totally cool with that. I I don't need my name on the side of a bus or on a billboard or in a named studio. Um, I I I don't know what to call that. I don't I don't know if it's you know humility or uh, whatever. I mean, because I mean, if I peel back these layers with you now probably what would happen is I would just reveal my insecurity that, you know, maybe I don't think I'm good enough or that, you know, it's just, it's just not the right fit. But I, um, um, I'm going off script here, but I mean, I, I guess my career aspiration in terms of being in professional radio or doing, you know, what I'm doing is I like being the guy next to the guy. I mean, like even even in fiction, my favorite characters that I always looked up to were always like the number twos, you know, the second in commands. You know, it's like, you know, Mr. Spock, Will Riker, uh, Destro, uh, Soundwave, uh, you know, maybe even Ironhide uh, to an extent. Um, you know, whoever was in, uh, second in command in G.I. Joe. I mean, because, I mean, I could say Duke because technically General Hawk was the leader, but but the way the cartoon portrayed him, Duke was kind of the hero. So I don't know who the guy next to the guy was in there, but but you get the point. I'm going way far afield. Uh, back to back to BJ Shea. I, I, I just wanted to very similar to my encounter with Kevin Smith last year. All I wanted to do was shake his hand, look him in the eye, and say thank you. Uh, thank you for influencing me to do what I'm doing now. 
And now, because of what I've done, you know, here with uh, uh, this podcast and, you know, even the KGRG stuff before that, now I have the opportunity to host this rock concert that I have been a fan of. And it's it's a hell of a thing. And, you know, we, we talked a lot about, like, you know, um, you know, behind the scenes radio stuff and how, like, the stuff that I'm doing is uh, increasingly common. Um, uh, we even made the joke that, cause I had said something like, um, uh, oh yeah, you know, uh, hosting shows and stuff like that, that, that could be a really good side hustle. And BJ told me, he's like, no, you don't understand the, the hosting gig, uh, can, you know, if it's, you know, as a business or whatever can be so lucrative that doing radio is uh is a side hustle and that that kind of blew my mind a little bit but um much like my friends from kgrg that wanted to get into different stuff like trevor getting into uh uh, photographing or folks wanting to get in promotions you know maybe uh, you know like hosting and emceeing is is a lucrative uh gig as well but anyway i so yeah i just i i had a longer conversation with him than I was anticipating. It was really good. He was, he was incredibly gracious and I, I, I'm really glad I had, uh, that, that I did take the opportunity cause I almost talked myself out of it. I'm just like, I don't want to bother him, but I felt it was important to, uh, do that. Um, that's really kind of like a, a theme of stuff that I like to pass on and some of the stories I like to share with you. I I am an advocate for thanking your heroes. Like, um, again, jumping ahead, but like um, when... I was at TFCon. There was a there was a Transformers the movie related uh, panel, and I'll talk more on this later. But but there was one of the folks that came up that they didn't necessarily have a question. So it's not like, hey, which which one was Cyclonus? Was it Skywarp or was it Bombshell? Because Bombshell was in the front and Skywarp was in the side, and and Cyclonus is a plane, so maybe he should be a plane, so he should be Skywarp. It wasn't that. It was just this person speaking honestly and genuinely, saying that you know, thanking the creators up on the panel uh, for the work they did and for making this movie that meant something to him. So anyway, thank your heroes. If, uh, if you have the opportunity, unless they're William Shatner and then screw that guy. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, so BJ wished me well, I hooked up with Mannix. We, uh, had part of our adventure that I talked about earlier and it was off to the hard rock. And, I had um, <laughs> this. This is a really cool experience. Or, or no, just a. Uh, um, uh, so me and Mannix, we walk up the stairs. Uh, the doors have just opened. There's still like a line going all the way down the stairs uh, and out the door to the Hard Rock. We just kind of breezed past that. Go up to the dude minding the door, and I roll up to him. I'm like, I'm the MC. And I kind of like throw a thumb over my shoulder. I'm like, he's the photographer. And a dude kind of stamps our hands and just kind of waves us through. It was like the most probably. And, and again, 
I don't know if I'm humble or not. Um, that that I guess will be up for history and for you to decide. But that's probably like the most baller thing I've ever done, where I'm just like, screw this line. I'm the DJ and he's with me. And DJ MC, sorry, the host. Um, but. I think even more than that, because, I mean, it did feel good and empowering to say that I was the MC and the host, but I think what gave me even more of a kick was, you know, pointing to my dude Mannix, and it's like, yeah, no, he's with me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like I, I get I get more of a kick of um, having a baller experience with a friend than just having it uh, uh, by myself. Um, like I had mentioned at the top, you know, it's like once he got posted up, you know, he got a really cherry spot, kind of like, you know, front, front center of the stage. Um, we kind of parted ways. Um, I went on to go do my hosting thing, which was a blast. And Really what it was, and, and and I remember Kyle telling me this when he first asked me to host, is just, he's like, just do your thing. You know, I like your energy, I like your vibe, I like what you do, just just you do you. And so I did. You know, it's like, you know, I, I talked to the crowd kind of the way I'm talking to you now, and it's uh, it was just really cool. So it's like, you know, welcome to Crackle Fest. You know, my name is Mike. I am your host. You know, and just just that that kind of just that kind of up delivery, and and the crowd responded to it pretty well. Uh, the show was amazing. It was so fun. Um, I finally met Joel, uh, the other half of Mega Thruster, and even in person. He uh, uh, prefers to just let the song speak for itself, um, uh, but that that was super cool, and it was great to see uh, Chris and Sarah again. Uh, Cracklehead Peter and his uh, significant other made the trip all the way out from New York again uh, to rock out with us, and I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, Peter's a really cool dude. Uh, does um, uh, does the art for Battle Buddies, uh, which is uh, a new uh, tabletop uh, card game. Um, and yeah, the, as I said, the crowd was just amazing. Uh, they you know, warmly welcomed me and they were super hyped even before, um, anybody even played a note. There's, there's something incredibly empowering and awesome about rolling up to a crowd that wants to be there and wants you to succeed and is already on your side. And when you step up to the mic and you say, how are we doing tonight? And the response back is enthusiastic applause and and crowd cheering. Um, it's it's a pretty dope feeling. I'm not gonna lie. It's uh, it's it's really cool. But man, it uh, it all went so fast. It's like before I knew it, the show was already almost over. Um, it was crazy. Uh, Mega Thruster killed it. Um, you know uh. Like I had mentioned uh, to Chris when I talked to him uh, during our interview, he asked me what the crowd was going to be like. And I tried to describe it as best as I could. And he asked me very specifically about their closing song. Now, they um, they have two different closers. Uh, one of them is the, um, you know, let the song speak for itself. 
um, which is kind of like a payoff of a of a running joke that they have throughout their set. They're like, you know, Chris will tell a story, and it's like, oh, I'll just I'll just let the song speak for itself. And at the conclusion of the set, they play, you know, their song. We'll just let the song speak for itself. Or they have another song called "Fuck Mountain." Which is, you know, it's all all about, you know, D and D and questing and wizarding and and all of that other stuff. But it's, you know, it's obviously very much uh, tongue in cheek. And he asked me, he's like, "What's the crowd like? And which song should we play?" And I told him they absolutely should play "Fuck Mountain" because I think it's the right crowd for it. And sure enough, that's what they closed out the uh, their set with. And it killed. I mean, people were just rolling. It's hilarious. I mean, it's a funny song. It's it's hilarious. But yeah, no, it was a that was a great choice. And um, and, and I was talking to Chris later, and yeah, he he and Joel were just stoked over the moon that you know the uh, the crowd was so into it. And um, now nah, it was awesome. And uh, and dude. Word burglar, man, dude, his uh his set was dope. It was amazing. Uh, but what's funny though is okay, so so Schomburg, the word burglar, he's a um he's a nerdcore rapper from Halifax, Nova Scotia, now in uh Toronto. And so yeah, so he's you know, Gen X or white guy. Um and and it's funny, I mean so just like, you know, his rhymes and his flows are just so on point. I've been listening to his stuff and obviously have been playing it for you uh, here on the podcast. Uh, but there's something about seeing him doing his thing live that just it's 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 crazy. But the thing that cracked me up the most is like as he's, um, you know, he's really flowing and rapping. He's got kind of like this weird uh shuffly uh white guy foot dance thing it's like he's not quite dancing but he's just he's just like i i don't even know how to describe it i i i'm not a hip-hop guy i don't know that that scene very well but it's just kind of like it's it's kind of like a um the best way i could describe it is it's it's a stationary moonwalk meaning like so he's kind of doing but but he's not going anywhere you know like whereas a moonwalk is you know a mode of transportation for like a better term you're moving you're 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 going from one place to another now he's just kind of like scooching back and forth uh um you know wearing a hole in that in that uh um uh hard rock cafe matt i was i was telling you about that earlier but yeah no his uh his his set was dope and but um, one thing that that I, I thought was um, interesting now. So since the first part of the show had been going so well and, you know, like the, the crowd was really kind of responding to me and what I was doing in uh, in my hosting, I thought I would kind of try to push the boundaries a little bit. And so right before I brought Word Burglar up, I, you know, talked about our interview and encouraged folks to, you know, get his uh, his new album, Rhyme Your Business. And, you know, I made this offhanded joke that, you know, we spent more time talking about Transformers and G.I. Joe, uh, specifically G.I. Joe the movie and Transformers the movie uh, more than we did talking about his music. And so I kind of tried to get kind of like a feel for where the crowd was. It's like, you know, are you into G.I. Joe the movie? Like three people were like, whoa. 
And I'm like, okay, so who's into uh, uh, Transformers the movie? And I kind of got the same response. Now, since I had kind of committed to this bit in my head, I probably didn't course correct enough, but I thought... Um, I thought it would be fun to try to do uh, some uh, uh, crowd participation. So, you know, kind of like, you know, when I say this, you say that. So I thought I would try to get my own uh, call and response from the crowd. What was that universal greeting again? Never mind. I remember. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. 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 <laughs> so, um, that wasn't a huge hit. But the one guy that had the uh, um, Optimus Prime with an electric guitar, You've Got the Touch shirt, I guess maybe that's where I was going because I saw that guy like right on the front corner of the stage. So I'm like, oh, I'm talking to this guy. You know, he he's my dude. So and I did it exactly the way that you heard uh, Hot Rod just do it. It's like, what was that universal greeting again? Never mind. I remember. And I, I'm just like, I, and I say it to the crowd and my dude my one guy in his you got the touch shirt says it back to me and in my mind in my head in my mind palace i guess the way i envisioned it was it was going to go exactly like this scene like i would say it they would say it back to me i would say it to them they would say it back to me and meanwhile i'm hearing uh weird owls dare to be stupid in in my head and it just it just didn't go that way at all but uh i i'm not going to be self-conscious about it because i mean it was still it was still fun and i can i can say that i did it that it was something i swung for the fences and tried to do uh but the the one thing that that really did crack me up because like um uh i i don't know if it's like some like wwe kayfabe stuff or or whatever but uh word burglar was giving me all kinds of crap about liking transformers the movie uh he prefers gi joe the movie so like anytime i mean we we were never really on stage together per se but like i would say my i'm like transformers the movie is better And like, then he would come up on stage after I introduced him and he's like, well, you know, G.I. Joe, the movie is better. So yeah, we kind of like have that, that weird baked in rivalry, but it's, it's all in good. It's all, it's all fun. Um, it's my podcast and it's nobody's favorite Transformers adjacent, uh, podcast. So I'm going to say Transformers, the movie is the better movie. And I don't care what Aaron says about, you know, like the, the introduction scene being better than anything in Transformers, the movie, that's just nonsense, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll unpack that, um, at a, at a different time. Um, but then, man uh kirby crackle just brought down the house with uh with their headline set um interestingly enough though uh kyle uh, kyle stevens uh kirby crackle uh he he was uh just getting over a cold so his uh he was having some voice issues um so what that meant and i've i've been to my share of Kirby Crackle shows where, you know, it's not the first time Kyle's had a cold, ironically enough, but um, lots of singing verses and choruses, which this particular crowd was all too happy to. It's uh, it, it's really cool. And I, and I know, 
you know, your mileage may vary. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes when you go to a show, it's like, I don't want to, I'm not paying to sing your songs. I'm paying to hear you sing your songs. I don't believe that myself. Um, because I think if there is a component of the song that the crowd knows and that they are passionate about, that's a cool thing. Like, you know, we just, uh, watched Bohemian Rhapsody again, uh, not, uh, uh, not too long ago. And there's like the whole, um, you know, Freddie shows Mary the, the recording of them doing, uh, uh, love of my life in Japan. And you know, all these, you know, Japanese people that don't speak English singing, singing the, uh, bridge of, uh, love of my life. You know, it's like, anyway, it, it's, it's a special thing when, when a crowd can have a song also that, that's where I'm going with that. Um, cause I mean, obviously one of, one of my favorite, uh, crowd interactive, uh, moments of any Kirby Crackle set is when they do ring capacity, the Green Lantern anthem. And, and there's this whole part where, um, it's it's the Green Lantern's oath, and so the uh, crowd enthusiastically sings along with it. You know, it's like in Brightest Day and Blackest Night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evils might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. You you know it. You, but anyway, so that's that's always a cool crowd unifying moment. Um, so that's a uh, um, that's always fun. But um, but. Again, I've been to many a Kirby Crackle show, um, but this is probably the hardest and loudest that I've heard them play in a good long while. Um, and and it was a really great mixed set of old stuff and classic hits. Um, it, it was a really nice encapsulation of 10 years of Kirby Crackle music. Again, celebrating 10 years of uh, nerd rock. Now... Here's the thing. This is what I really wanted to talk about. So if you're if you're still with me, um, thank you for sticking around because this is what I really wanted to get into. Um, uh, the encore. Now the encore set is always the you know the climax of any Crackle Fest show, and Crackle Fest Nine was no different. First of all, um, out of nowhere. Uh, beloved former guitarist uh, Patrick Porter comes out onto the stage and um, helps the band perform just a a balls to the wall amazing um, and and earnestly they didn't you know dink around with the song or anything it was very serious and straightforward but they did um, they did a cover of Toto's Africa. And it's one of those things where, you know, everybody knows the lyrics and it was just one of those, again, crowd unifier things. The thing that's funny, though, about um, uh, Patrick coming out is like he was hiding in the green room, like, you know, tuning his guitar and doing all that stuff. I, I don't think, man, I'd really have to skim my memory now, but I don't think he made it out onto the... Um, uh, the floor area, show floor area, uh, where people could see him. It was a legit surprise, but me being the host and knowing, you know, what I had access to, I was just chit-chatting w- with him in the green room. So I was like, Hey man, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, it's, I kind of, when he came out and the crowd was so there with him, 
I kind of forgot for a sec that it was novelty because I had, you know, I'd seen this dude for like the better portion of uh, a couple hours at that point. But anyway, that, that was, uh, that was pretty rad. That was a whole lot of fun. Um, it, it's always a blast to do a huge sing along. And I'm, uh, um, I, I'm just grateful that there was no need for a tribute set this time around. I, uh, I I think about last year's set and the uh, uh, salutes to Chris Cornell and Tom Petty, but man, uh, Lucky and I were just uh, driving around uh, just a couple days ago. heard uh, heard the Cranberries on the radio, and uh, no joke, the hair rises on my arm, and I get like a little bit of a chill whenever I think about that haunting uh, cover of uh, Zombie that um that Kirby Crackle did and and just that that feeling of singing that chorus and it's just it, again it was one of those unifying moments that um yeah I didn't realize that that song meant anything to me but when I'm singing that chorus with a packed room full of crackleheads and we're all feeling that same uh, reverence and emotion. It's it. It was something pretty special. But but man, this year though, something completely different and just uh just plain crazy. So you know, nerdcore rapper Word Burglar was in the house, right? And so basically, what Kyle did and Kirby Crackle and and the show what kind of took it back to high school with a with a medley of classic 90s R&B hits. I mean, I mean we're talking Return of the Mac uh, from Mark Morrison, uh Skilo, uh OPP from Naughty by Nature, Montel Jordan, This is how we do it, and then of course uh closing out with a House of Pain and Jump Around. Get out your seat and jump around. Uh, jump around. Um and it was it was spectacular. I mean, there there is nothing more Gen X than a bunch of white guys doing 90s R&B hits for a room of mostly white folks of a certain age and I and I tell you we were just eating it up we knew every lyric to every song and it just brought the house down that it was it was way more fun than it had any right to be and I remember when I was talking to Kyle around like the first of the year and he um you know he he shared with me that he was kicking around the idea of doing this this 90s medley and I've been sitting on that nugget for these last few months and it was so weird. I mean, and, and you know, that that was the wrap up of the show. And it's like as soon as I caught up with my dude Mannix, I, I told him, I go, I've known about this for three months and I knew it was going to be special, but I didn't I had no idea that it was going to be uh, what it ended up being. It was just it was just oh, it was just incredible. It's, um, you know, and, and again, these uh the encores always bring down the house and they're always a lot of fun it's uh and it's one of those things where you can bring up the other folks in the bands and uh and and i just i i just thought that was really neat and that uh 
And that wrapped it up for Crackle Fest. Um, the the bands and folks uh, hung around at the bar afterwards, but man, I I needed to get the heck out of there um, because, uh, well, I mean, you know, Mannix was going to be back at the con the next morning. Uh, you know, again, doing more uh, cosplay shooting, and I had to jump on a plane. Um, well, no, I mean, first I had to get home and crash out for for a few hours, hopefully before my flight to Burbank. But that's a different story for a different day. So tell you what, next week I will unpack TFCon LA and my whirlwind weekend that uh, that while I did love the adventure, that is something I am never going to do again as long as I live. I, I, I pushed myself maybe a little too far and a little too hard, and you'll get to hear all of the uh, um, details about that. Um, and I will have at least two different guests joining me, maybe a, a, a third challenger as well. We'll, uh, uh, we'll see how schedules line up. But uh, joining me next week to talk about their uh, separate experiences at TFCon LA is going to be Liz from Worlds Cosplay and Cybefest Northwest, and then Ben Harpold also uh, from Cybefest Northwest. I'm going to talk to them separately uh, this time, and then include that in uh, the same episode. Uh, but I did want to leave you with a small tease for uh for next week's episode uh the uh the autopod decepticast interview with uh writer of transformers the movie mr ron friedman that interview did indeed happen and you will have to hear it for yourself to believe it it's a it's a real uh seeing is believing uh, situation. I can't spoil anything, but I I really think that Aaron did a phenomenal job uh, hosting and running the interview, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, as of as of this particular recording where I'm talking to you now, I'm not sure what the specific plan for when and how that interview will be released on the Autopod Decepticast feed, uh, but I did want to mention it right here and now just in case it ends up being their next episode and their podcast uh, for this next week. Um, so go check out uh, Autopod Decepticast. That's on your favorite podcast app, um, and you can find them at Decast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, autopoddecepticast.com. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with me. And if you'd like to listen to my past episodes, including all of my KGRG college radio shows, subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, the Stitcher Radio app, Apple Podcasts, and on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Seibert Radio and right into the mailbag, Mike Seibert Radio at gmail.com. And I can totally tell it's been a while since I've read this stuff because for like the last month, I've been using the recorded version saying, join us at Cracklefest 9. Well, Cracklefest 9 is over, so I guess you'll have to join us next year at Cracklefest 10. Next week, it's Liz, it's Ben. It's maybe a mystery guest, but it will be TFCon LA recap and more. 
Until then, this has been Mike Seibert Radio. My name is Mike, and until next time, make good choices. <laughs>